Last week we began a new series that focuses on the ripple effect of our lives. We talked about how one decision, one moment, one event can cause a series of other events to happen that never would have happened without that first event. That's, that's the ripple effect. You know, you've seen, you've, you've tossed that uh, rock into the pond or into the lake and you've seen how just that one event, that one rock can cause a ripple effect uh, that wouldn't have happened otherwise. It's easy to see the, the effects of the ripples in a negative context, isn't it? Because we've, some of us have grown up in that kind of a situation or, or you've seen that situation or maybe some of you are living in that situation right now. We've seen and experienced the negative ripple effects of someone's decision, someone's lifestyle. But the ripples in your life can also have a positive impact on people. Many of you could probably testify about the influence that someone in uh, someone you know has had on your life. Their, their walk with Christ, their relationship with the Lord has had a ripple effect. It has affected you as you looked at them. Like ripples in the water, the impact of your life can go further than you realize. And, and the impact can be bigger than you ever realize. So last week we began to talk about five ways that you can multiply your life. Five ways that your impact can be bigger than just you, how, how it can go out larger and f- further than you ever imagined. And we said that the first way, last week we talked about the first way, that is that day by day you let God work in you. Throughout the Bible we find this pattern where God impacts a person before He uses that person to impact others. Or to put it another way, God works in a person's life before He works through that person's life. So if you want to be a person that impacts others, if you want to be a person that, the, you, that multiplies your life, you, you need to day by day let God work in you. Let God work in you in a special way so that He can work through you. You see, if you think about it, the, the Christians that you know, the Christians that have impacted you, the Christians that have had a, a, a special a place in your life are probably Christians who you have noticed have a day-by-day relationship with Jesus. And their day-by-day relationship with Jesus has made the difference in them and in you. And so, if you want to multiply your life, that was the thing we talked about last week, then you need to have that day-by-day letting God work in you. Today, I want to look at a second way to multiply your life. I'm going to warn you ahead of time. Some of you are going to be reluctant to say amen to what I'm going to share with you today. But let's go ahead and practice it because I want you to say amen. Thank you. Now, I want you to do it during the message too, okay? Here's the second way to multiply your life. If you really want to see the ripples go out, live an outwardly focused life. Live an outwardly focused life. Maybe I should say it this way. Deliberately live an outwardly focused life. Deliberately is an important word there because it's going to take some effort on your part. You see, we all have the tendency to drift inward in our focus. We all do. We all have the tendency to drift inward in our focus. We have the tendency to, to make life and to make church about us. We have the propensity 
to think in terms of what we want and what we need and what we prefer and what we like. We all have that propensity. We all have that leaning. We all do that from time to time. We all, if we're not careful, can become inward focused and life and church and faith becomes about us. We become the center of everything we read in the Bible. We become the center of the faith. We become the center of the church. And I want you to listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. That is a dangerous place to live. When we become the center, that is a dangerous place to live. That's what makes the church at Philippi such an amazing congregation. You can read about it in your Bibles. Go ahead and open your Bible to Philippians chapter 1. The church at Philippi was an amazing congregation. Because for years and years and years, the members in that church somehow kept the right focus. For years and years and years, the members of that, in that church somehow maintained an outward focus. We'll read about it in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. Let me pause there to say that's true. I could say that's true about my life and the way I think about you. I, I often thank my God for you. I know what Paul is talking about when he wrote these words. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Then he says, in all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. That is, listen, when I'm praying about you folks and when I'm praying for you folks, when you guys are on my heart, when I'm in prayer, Paul says, whenever I'm praying about, I'm never praying about negative things. He says, I'm never praying that God would get so-and-so or God would, you know, do something to get someone. Paul says, whenever I'm praying for you guys, because you're in my heart and you're such special people, he says, whenever I pray for you, I always pray with joy. And then he tells us why. Look what he says. In all my prayers, verse 4, for all of you, I always pray with joy because, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This is a church that got it right. This is a church that understood what church is for. The members of Philippi knew what they were supposed to do, and they were living the gospel. Paul said, from the first day, that is, from the first time you heard the gospel, from the first time you received the gospel, from the first time that you welcomed the gospel, from the first day until now, that is, until Paul was writing the letter. Paul said, as I think about it, as I think about you, the congregation, as I think about the members in that congregation, you folks have been living out the gospel from the very first day you heard about it, until this very day when I'm writing to you many, many years later. They were living out the gospel. They were proclaiming the gospel. They were partnering with Paul in the gospel. Their purpose was totally and completely gospel-centered. Paul was grateful for the fact that they understood the concept of living an outwardly focused life. And don't miss this phrase. In fact, you might want to underline it in your Bible. 
from the first day until now. From the first day until now, they were focused not inwardly, but outwardly. From the first day until now, they were focused on those who were outside the church and outside the faith. Do you understand how hard that is to do? Do you understand how hard that is to maintain? Do you understand how easy it is for individuals and for churches to drift inward in their thoughts, to drift inward in their priorities, to drift inward in their strategies? Paul says from the very first day until now, you folks have maintained an outward focus. You've been focused on the gospel. You've been focused on those who are outside the church and those who are outside the faith. You know as well as I do. There are churches dying all across America. Churches dying all across South Carolina. Churches dying in this very area. And if you go to those churches and start studying those churches, you will almost always find a church that is inward focused. Somewhere along the way, somewhere in time, probably they didn't even realize it at the time, but somewhere along the way, church became about them. Dying churches always, listen, say the word always, dying churches, dying churches always shift from being gospel-centered to being self-centered. But Paul says, but, but you, the thing that fascinates me about you, the thing that, that I am celebrating and thanking God for about you is that you've been outwardly focused, you've been sharing the gospel, you've been living the gospel, you've been partnering with me in the gospel from the first day until now. Tom Rainer says, a church without a gospel-centered purpose is no longer a church at all. That would have been a good place to put one of those amens. I'll give you another chance, okay? A church without a gospel-centered purpose is no longer a church at all. Now, they might be good people. There are probably some good families in that group. But when that group, no matter how large or small, when that group becomes inward focused and it's about them and it's about their preferences and their desires, they cease to be a church because the church is always gospel-centered. Church is always concerned about those who are not yet part of the church, who are outside the church and outside the faith. You see, when church members demand their own preferences, they're gradually moving away from being the body of Christ on earth. I was, I was walking the other day and I was thinking about this passage and thinking about this message and, and it was as if God gave me something and, and so I, I went home. As soon as I got home, I wrote it down and I just want to share it with you. And, and, and if it offends you, then, then I, all I'm saying is I'm just the paper boy. God gave it to me to deliver to you, okay? As I was walking the other day thinking about this text and thinking about the message, it's as if God said, and I don't hear audible voices from God, but it was very clear as if God says, when church is about you, it's no longer about Jesus. I, I, I stopped. I was walking and I stopped. I thought about that. And I said out loud, that's right. 
I wonder if the neighbors wondered what I'm doing. You know, I'm walking the dog. All of a sudden, I stop and say, that's right. <laughs> but it is right, isn't it? When church is about you, then it's no longer about Jesus. Does that make sense? When church is about you, when church is about me, when we become the focus, when we become the center, when it's our preferences and our ideas and our desires, when church becomes about you, then it's no longer about Jesus and we have lost our gospel witness. That's what's so amazing about this church in Ephesus or in Philippi. Paul says, I'm thankful for you because because of your partnership from the gospel, in the gospel from the first day until now. Many years later, you still have that outward focus. Many years later, you still have that gospel desire. Many years later, you're still about the right thing. So here's the question I want to ask you. Don't answer it out loud. But here's the question I want to ask you. Who were you focused on? You or others? Now, if I were to ask you that question, if I were to point to you and ask you, who are you focused on, you or others? In a crowd like this, I just about would guarantee you, I know the answer. The answer that you would give would be others. If I were to come to you privately and said, who are you focused on, you or others? I know the answer. You'd give the same answer that I would, others. But I'm afraid that if you were to give that answer, some of you, maybe some of us, would be lying, wouldn't we? Perhaps you used to be focused on others. I understand that. I get that. You used to be focused on others. There there used to be a time that you were outward focused. There used to be a time you were gospel-centered. There used to be a time when others, those who are outside the church and outside the faith, were very important to you. They were a priority in your life. I, I get that. You used to be that way, right? But over the years, if we're not careful, our obedience to the Great Commission will fade. And the eyes that used to look outward will slowly turn inward. You know, I was thinking about this, and I want you to make sure you hear this, church, because you know my heart. I love, I absolutely love the things that we're doing in missions. I I love the places we're going and the churches we're planting and all of that. But it occurred to me, one of the dangers, one of the dangers of going on mission trips to places like Cleveland and Boston and Thailand and, and all of those kind of places, one of the dangers in doing that is that we think that we're outwardly focused by doing that, even though we may not be sharing the gospel right here. Oh, yeah, we're outwardly focused. I mean, we're going to Boston, we're going to Cleveland, we're going to Thailand, we're going all over the world. We're outwardly focused. But when was the last time you shared the gospel right here? You see, if you want to multiply your life, then you need to have an outward focus that becomes part of your life. Did you hear that? If you want to multiply your life, you need to have an outward focus that becomes part of your life. Not just something you do on a mission trip once or maybe twice a year. Now, some of you are getting it. I, I, I'm just so blessed by what I see God doing in some people's lives. In fact, 
just last night, I was eating supper with my son. Uh, my, my wife is, is up at uh, Ocean City, Maryland with her dad at, for this weekend. So, you know, Jonathan and I, we, we did the good thing all bachelors do. We went out to eat. And so we were at, we were at the gospel house, the Chick-fil-A. And so while we were eating at Chick-fil-A, one of our church members walked in, and, and I noticed that she didn't get any food. She just walked in, and, and a few minutes later, she walked by my table. I said, well, where's your food? And she said, oh, I've already eaten. And I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking, so why are you at Chick-fil-A? She said, I've already eaten. She said, but I just came in to get some gift cards for my husband. I said, oh, really? She said, yeah. I said, he likes to put those invite cards that you gave us at church on a Chick-fil-A gift card and he hands them out to people in need. She said, you know, you know, you see these people, you know, asking for money out there at Walmart and sometimes he'll just stop and he'll just hand one of those out, Chick-fil-A gift card with with a church track on a church card on it. She said, and we're going to get some gospel tracks and attach that to the gift cards. We we just want to give it out to people. We just want to get the message out to people. Please hear my heart on this. I didn't plan that. We don't have a program for that. You know what that is? That's a family in our church saying we're going to live with an outward focus. Well, you don't have to call the church office and say, is it okay if we do this? We're going to live with an outward focus. That's what, that's what they were doing. I didn't even know they were doing that until last night. But isn't it wonderful that not just in Cleveland, not just in Boston, not just in Thailand or Indonesia, but in Powdersville, as they have opportunity, they're living with an outward focus. So here's the question, the important question that I want to ask you again. Who are you focused on? You or others? And then I want to ask you another question, a follow-up question. If you say others, then I'd like to ask you this. Can you point to something that you're currently doing for others? Can you tell me about anything like Chick-fil-A gift cards or whatever it may be? Can you point to anything you're doing that has an outward focus? Can you point to anything that you're doing besides coming to church on Sunday morning? Can you point to anything that you're doing that is trying to reach outside the church and, and to those who are outside the faith? You see, the best way to multiply your life is to stop living for you and start living for the gospel. And that's the way it's supposed to work. In fact, I want to take the last few minutes of my time. Won't you go to Acts chapter 5, and I'll show you how this is supposed to look. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse... 41. I'll give you the context as you're turning there. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles are being persecuted. They have been arrested. They, they uh, are brought before the Sanhedrin, and, and they've, been, they've been beaten and threatened. And uh, So we're picking up at the story near the end of that story where after they, they've been arrested, after they've been 
accused, after they've been beaten, after they've been threatened, uh, they were let go. And, and then we pick up the story in verse 40. His speech persuaded them, and they called the apostles in and had them flogged, whipped. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So if you were arrested and somebody took a whip to your back and beat you 39 times, and they said, now, stop doing what you're doing. and Don't you say anything else about Jesus. It would be pretty tempting, would it not, to, to develop an inward focus. It'd be pretty tempting to say, okay, I'm just going to go to church on Sundays. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. That would be tempting, but look what happened. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And then notice this, verse 42, day after day. There's that phrasing, isn't it? We talked about day by day last week. We see it again in this text. Day by day or day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Day by day in the temple courts when they were at church and from house to house, they never stopped having an outward focus. Day by day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped being concerned about those who are not yet part of the faith. Day by day, they never stopped caring about others. It sounds a lot like Philippians 1 where Paul says, I think the Lord for you because you continue to share the gospel, you continue to partner in the gospel from the first day until now, day by day, you continue from the first day until now. And in Acts chapter 5, they never stopped. I want everybody to look at your pastor for just a moment. I want to ask you a question. Have you stopped? Have you stopped caring? Have you stopped sharing? I didn't ask you if you stopped believing. You still believe the gospel. But do you believe it works? Do you believe it changes lives? Do you believe it could make a difference in the lives of others? Have you stopped doing what you once did? Well, Pastor, you need to understand I'm getting older now. I understand that, but, but here's what I do know. The gospel hasn't gotten any older. The gospel is still working. The gospel is still the good news that people need. They never stopped sharing the good news of Jesus. Now, the last scripture I want to give you is... I've just been kind of fascinated by it. I almost used it as my text, but because David Butler preached from it a couple of weeks ago, and I preached from it a year or two ago, I thought, well, I better go to a different text. But, but it's found in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. Mark chapter 5, 
Mark chapter 5 is the healing of the demon-possessed man, and Jesus had gone to the other side. David Butler told us about that. Jesus had gone to the other side and, and met this guy who literally was living in the, in the tombs. That is, he was living in the caves where the bodies were buried. He was demon-possessed. He was possessed by a legion of demons, and a legion, a Roman legion with 6,000 soldiers. We don't know exactly how many demons this man had in him, but when the demons left the man and went into the pigs, they were cast into, 2,000 pigs ran down the bank and were drowned. So probably he had at least 2,000 demons inside him, maybe as many as 6,000 demons living inside. I don't understand how that works, but I do know this. He was in an awful shape. Then Jesus cast out the demons, and and the Bible says, uh, if you'll look, uh, the Bible says that, that uh, this man was, was in his, he was dressed and, and in his right frame of mind. Uh, let's pick up the story. Uh, verse 9, Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And a large herd of pigs was feeding nearby the hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs The herd was about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lakes and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what happened. Verse 15, when they came to see Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And the story goes that they asked Jesus to leave. Now, don't miss verse 18 and 19. As Jesus was getting in the boat, The man who had been demon-possessed. What's that next word in your text? The man did what? He begged to go with him. Now, I would have done the same, and you would have done the same. He begged to go with Jesus because Jesus had changed his life. He probably didn't want those demons to come back, and he wanted to go with Jesus. He was begging, pleading to go with Jesus. He wanted to get in that boat. Watch this, watch this. He wanted to go hang out with Jesus and the other disciples. That's where it was comfortable. That's where it was safe. He wanted to go hang out with Jesus and the other disciples and just stay there. Pick up the story. Verse 19. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus said, oh, no, 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 no. You don't need to get in the boat and hang out with us. You need to go back to the people who need what you have. You need to go back to your home. You need to go back to your family. You need to go back and share what's happened in your life and how the Lord has had mercy on you. You need to go back and tell other people what I've done. I believe if he had gotten in that boat, he would have become inward in his thinking. He would become, look what God did for me. But Jesus sent him home to say, You go tell your family what God can do for them. You be outward focused. Go back to your home. Go back to your family. You tell them 
what can happen in their life too. So I've got to ask you the question one more time. Who are you focused on? You or others? It's so easy to focus on you. But your life will make an impact when you're focused on others. Let's pray about that. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name that is above every name, I pray that you would be honored and glorified and that, Father, lives would be changed as we focus more on Jesus and less on us, as we focus more on the gospel and less on us. May we be a church that doesn't just go on mission trips around the world, that doesn't just plant churches, but may we also be a church that is concerned about those right here, right around us, right here in our families who need what we have. May we have an outward focus for the gospel. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.